is it important do you think for for artists to at least at a baseline have awareness over how that part of their business functions like does that make them yeah better business people yeah i mean i think these skills honestly are, are going to be universally just good for anybody in the crypto space to know there's even um, crypto trading basic courses like what is a DAO, what is DeFi, that kind of stuff if you're in the nft space you should have a basic understanding of of all of these things and sometimes people jump in and they just want to mint their art and sell it but they don't speak the language yet they don't really understand what's going on yet so um it never hurts to know more <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Danielle Davis. Danielle is the co-owner of the NFT project Game Lady Squad, and she's also a Web3 educational advisor. In this episode, Danielle details her intellectual pursuits, how that eventually led to college, pursuing two degrees seven years there, not because she wasn't smart, but because she really enjoys knowledge and learning new things. That desire to learn and a desire to help people has culminated in her crypto career, where she educates artists on the business side of NFTs, how to get their art shown, how to get their uh, work seen and marketed to a wide variety of people. And that's also transitioned an educational component to helping people understand Web3, how it works, how it functions, and she's just got a really unique path. So let's dive in. Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. Well, you are a woman of many hats. And uh, out of curiosity, you know, when did you ever envision, I guess just to, as a starting point, did you ever envision being involved in your career with sort of a wide playing field of opportunities where you always attracted to you know a lot of balls in the court you know many many spinning tops or is that just the evolution of a life lived um i feel like i've always been doing something similar to this um i love having a million balls in the air i would work sometimes four jobs at a time um, you know, I took, I was in college for seven years because I was just wanted to learn everything, everything they had. I wanted to take it. They had to kick me out. <laughs> They're like, just take your degrees and go. We'll give you two. Just here, get out of here. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like learning and, uh, mastering things is just my passion. I want to find new things that I can, um, study until I feel like there's nothing left to know. And the best thing about NFTs and crypto is, it that's going to be never ending. I can do that every single day of my life and never running out of things to research or uh, learn or new projects coming out or whatever. Now, to 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 kind of back up, was the pursuit of knowledge or the pursuit of just learning something that as a kid you were always really immersed in? Like, you, did you love school? How did it all start? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I loved school. I loved. Um, I would go to all sorts of weird summer camps uh, when I was a kid. For example, I went to a summer camp at Waynesburg College when I was in high school, and it was a forensic science and biotechnology summer camp. And we got to like dig up dead bodies and like look for evidence and <laughs> do all these things like fingerprinting, casting. Um, the bodies were deer bodies, by oh, the way. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> we still treated them as if they were evidence, you know, or some sort of 
um, human body and would, uh, you know, plot the ground. And we even hit like a dummy with a car and then look for evidence on it afterwards. Like um, just that kind of fun (laughs) stuff. There's a lot of great camps that you can go to. Like people just think of space camp, but um, pretty much anything that you can do, you can find a camp for except for like NFTs and crypto. But I really think that's something that down the line I would love to be involved in creating some sort of summer camp for a, cri- a crypto kids, like a create your own camp. adventure yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could learn digital art you could earn coding you could learn you know nfts you could do business ops like whatever you want or you could do archery swimming horseback <laughs> riding like kind of mix all that stuff together right a blend of traditional traditional summer camp and uh web3 yes absolutely financial literacy as well will be in there right right the all-encompassing <laughs> It's like an enrichment camp, but really yeah. just for people who want to learn a multifaceted life. For sure. Right on. So, okay. So, so learning and just exploring and diving into just different aspects of life and science and art, you know, was, was sort of the bedrock for you. It sounds like what then mm-hmm. propelled, you know, as you started to, 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 you know, begin your uh, seven years in, in college, what was sort of the driving force behind those educational pursuits? It was definitely the continued pursuit of knowledge um, and kind of trying to find a place for myself. Um, I did one day have like an epiphany that like, I just loved helping other people like figure out what they wanted to do. Like I would teach like individual art classes, pretty much anything I learned at the school, I would go home and teach my friends how to do. I had um, this room in my house where I had spots for seven people to be working on art projects. And there was literally always seven people in there working on different things. I had a loom, I had stamp making, I had painting and just everything you could think of you could do in this room. And it just gave me so much joy. Like, teaching somebody something they wanted to learn how to do and watching them be successful in it. And that moment just always felt so good, even if it was just like a little simple little project. And that's when I realized, okay, maybe teaching is a good place for me. So I did start directing my classes towards that, but I wanted to be able to teach everything. I wanted to, you know, master as many of those courses as I could. So that's part of the reason why I was there for so long was just taking all the courses, learning how to teach gym, music, art, um, science, a lot of different science classes, math, everything. And, and, and from there, you know, you said you had two degrees. What, what were the two areas of study that really stuck with you? Yeah. So it was broad field science. Um, so that's pretty much (laughs) all of the sciences except for physics and chemistry is what I chose. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, that I had a minor in middle school, elementary, uh, middle school science education. Then I had elementary education with a minor in technology. Wow. And did you know what you wanted to do with both of those degrees or was there, is it, was, Hey, this is just what I enjoyed and something from that will come. Yeah. I mean, my goal was I wanted to go teach kids and help them like be excited about science. And I was so excited about that idea. And I did go out and be a teacher for a couple of years. And um, I realized that I'm much too empathetic of a person to be running a class full of 30 students or 20 or whatever. Um, It's 
hard for me because their lives are hard nowadays, much harder than when we were kids and probably the generation before and whatnot. And um, I just see what they're going through and I kind of internalize it and it made it really hard for me to teach them math when, you know, I know this one's struggling to eat at home and whatever. And um, so after a while, it kind of just burnt me out emotionally and um, I just couldn't do it anymore. Wow. And did that help that did kind of exiting that path help you realign? Was it a reset? What, what was sort of the, the, the product of that pivot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I kind of wandered for a while, just trying to find my new thing. Um, started my own business, weaving handmade fabrics and turning them into custom purses and pouches that I sold at like head shops and they had like hidden pockets in them and stuff. So that was fun, but it was like 60 hours of work for one purse. So it was not, um, not just a hobby that you break up by any means. Sure. Um, but they were very, very uh, cool looking. Um, but uh, then I kind of bounced around a few different types of careers. I was a cab driver for a while. I waitressed for a while. I was in the carnival. <laughs> I traveled with the carnival for a year. Um, and yeah, I did just pretty much jumped around for a while until I found NFTs. I was actually working in healthcare at the time then. Um, and um, yeah, Facebook comment kind of led me to crypto because just somebody, this... somebody posting on Facebook. Yeah. Well, a bunch of people technically. So there's this article, it was an ad for the next transfer of wealth and it was a paywalled article, so I couldn't read it, but I was looking through the comments and seeing what everybody was saying. Cause if a bunch of people are like, that's a great article, I might be willing to pay for it. Or they might just give me the answer below that often happens as well. <laughs> so I'm looking sure. through the comments and everyone's like, ah, this is BS. It's going to be Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin. And I'm just like seeing all this. I was like, are these bots? Like, what is this Bitcoin stuff? <laughs> so I was like, it sounds like I might need some, whatever it is. I might need a little bit of it. So I started doing research. I spent, probably two months um, looking into like the security side of things, hardware wallets, how to buy it, what to buy, all that before I spent any money. And then I got like deep into trading. I was in all these trading groups that were teaching me how to day trade. And I got very heavily into it. At one point I had like 250 tokens I was trading a day. Wow. Just massive. Yeah. And so it was sort of the article prompted you to explore the new arena yeah and then once you started to explore it you got into it yeah and, and this was 2020 so it wasn't that long ago <laughs> oh wow so rel relatively new and then so okay yeah. so you're 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 day trading uh and is, does that just take over as your new sort of fo focal point how, how then does that become you know lead to everything else that uh, yeah yeah so it did for a couple months. Um, that's all I was doing is day trading. And then I ended up um, trading a token called Meme, which was Don't Buy Meme. It was a project in 2020. It was an NFT project. And it's funny because in our trading discord, they always said, don't join the discords for your projects, for your tokens. Don't do it because then you'll never sell at the right time. You're going to be listening to all the FUD and the FOMO and and you'll you'll never sell at the right time. Like you'll just get too emotionally invested. 
but I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to break the rule. I want to know what's going on with this project. Like this NFT stuff sounds really cool. So I joined not just their discord, but also their telegram. And I spent like all of my time in those chats for a while. It was just completely engrossed my life. It was so interesting what everybody was doing. Everybody in that chat was like trying to find their own ways to build with NFTs because it was such a new idea at that time. They're like, how can we do this? But also they were like doing a lot of fun stuff with it. Like I minted a couple memes that I just like dropped at people that I thought that they would think is funny based on what's going on in the conversation. And uh, like we minted everything back then, everything. (laughs) I used to call it a postage stamp because it would cost us like 40 cents to send somebody an NFT. So it was like a dollar to mint it. 40 cents to send it. Yeah, things have definitely shifted since. Minting NFTs at such a low cost, I mean, did you ever envision that that would blow up and become what we know NFTs to be now? Uh, Yeah, I guess I didn't think it would necessarily look the way that it does um, with the whole PFP kind of craze, I will say. Um, back then, I guess I kind of look at more from a gamification side and like how it would affect gamers. And I kind of thought that was going to blow up first, but I do see with, you know, COVID and everything that's happened in the world, why people want that like community connection. And, um, it kind of does make sense that that's what's one gaming still going to happen for sure. It's just surprising me that it's taking so long to really be, the thing that pushes NFTs more mainstream. Hmm. So you think with with the continued expansion of games, that games themselves will sort of be a help, a, a driving force in uh, Web three adoption and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think what we've seen so far really has been gamified DeFi. There hasn't really been any skill based games. Um, I do know of of a lot being worked on. They take a long time to make, which is part of the reason why we haven't seen a lot of that here. But, uh, you know, gamers are smart. Um, Once they have the desire to learn the technology, they'll understand it better than maybe the typical mainstream person would. Um, And they're going to be motivated to figure it out if, if it has some benefit to them in their gaming ecosystem. You know, there are people who spend thousands of dollars and skins and games that they can't transfer, they can't move. Uh, it only makes sense that there's some way to sell those things or use them from one platform to another. And once we really see that capability in a way that makes sense to them, and it doesn't just look like a cash grab, yeah, <laughs> they'll right, definitely right. they'll definitely be here. Like I used to play WoW for years and League of Legends and all these other games, and these people spend their entire day playing this game and imagine if they can be actually making money on that without having to like shadily sell their entire account on some back website that they don't (laughs) trust. Right. Right. It just only makes sense. So in terms of games and, and kind of let's, let's kind of try to fill in the gaps here. So, so you're, you're getting into uh, NFTs. You, you've seen the Facebook post. It's kind of uh, crescendoed you into the space. How then does Theme Lady Squad come about? What's what's the process by which you start to, uh, yeah. you know, get into your own more specific uh, crypto endeavors? For sure. So um, actually, it was within that meme chat uh, within three weeks that I had built a project with a couple other people in the chat. Uh, we were looking to add utility to the project because it was just 
they're basically cards. They're collectibles. There's different sets. There's legendaries. There's rares. There's all that. But it was art without any utility. And we wanted to be able to add utility for that. The team was much too busy to take our advice. <laughs> so we're like, let's figure out a way to do this on our own. Uh, my friend who is a developer, he's like, you know, you can wrap an NFT and to make it into a game, do whatever you want with it. You don't need permission from the team that made the original project. Like, okay, well, yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's try to do that. So um, within three weeks, we had built a game where you could wrap your meme NFTs and turn them into little, um, they're like Tamagotchis. You had to feed them hmm. and take care of them, but you could mine tokens from them every day as well. That's cool. So these only, these, these little, uh, these little miners basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were cute. That's though. really they were neat. like little characters. <laughs> Cute miners. And and that just kind of like got me into the whole like, okay, all I need is a good idea and a couple friends, maybe a good artist, and I can build my own projects. That's really cool. So I um, next was on my hunt to find more artists because I felt like at the time it was a lot of filter art and um, people just taking things off of Google and minting them. And um, there wasn't a lot of high quality artists because they didn't really understand what the benefit was at that point in minting these nfts like they weren't seeing that the month that there was money there they were just seeing it as like a fun little thing that people were doing so um i started going to like weird art groups on facebook or art events in real life and trying to talk to artists into coming into the nft space and minting their art and making pieces and trying to sell their pieces and uh you know the community is very small at that time so a lot of artists were just supported because they were there and they were part of the community. It was definitely a different time than it was now, but, um, you know, teaching all these artists how to mint their first pieces. I ended up making a website called nftbasics.com as well as, uh, nftcomedy.com, <laughs> which was with, um, a comedian that is well known in California. Um, uh, Squeezy Jibs. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, he does like screenshot art, I will call it screenshot comedy art. Um, so he'll have like conversations with people and he'll just say really funny things and take screenshots and turn them into posts. And he's gotten famous and made t shirts out of these for years. And it's like, you know, I really feel like his style of comedy makes sense with NFTs. So we uh, paired up together and made this website. It did not go over very well. His community did not understand what NFTs were. He had like millions of followers and they're like, dude, we don't understand what you're talking about. It was no, no, uh, it was a very hard bridge to get over. Uh, pretty much he just got no engagement. And then, sure. you know, times changed. The next time he tried a year later, he just got a bunch of people trolling about the environment. So. Um, but now when you see him post up about it, he'll get a little bit of engagement and a few people will buy stuff. So, um, it, you know, the crowd, the community, the outside of the web three spaces is catching up slowly. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's still, it's still, uh, an onboarding, uh, process that, that takes that's, a little, little time. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And it's a big thing with education, which of course, you know, is kind of where I come in that I think our biggest obstacle right now in the entire space has been education and um, scalability of the education that we're using. 
like right now you have to be a part of a community, you have to have a mentor, you have to know the right people, or maybe you might happen upon the right YouTubes and get the right information, but finding trust, trustable information, you know, we tell people you can't Google things in crypto, but then we don't tell them what you can do and where they can get their information. Well, and it's still such a wide open area that what, what is the norm of today could be gone tomorrow just in any industry but Absolutely. i think this this the wrap time in terms of or the completion time of when those changes can be affected or implemented rather are can be much yeah. more instantaneous uh so just to get back to that you know you you had mentioned in school that uh and, and sort of a driving force behind the intellectual pursuits you're involved in all kind of in some way we're we're wrapped around helping other people uh so Mm -hmm. is education and helping people still something that is infused into your uh crypto nft pursuits a hundred percent a hundred percent um i think that yeah i might not have realized it at first i might have even called what i was doing marketing at one point but i think that really what i've been doing this whole time is educating people and um, trying to give someone like a soft landing, a place where they know they can ask questions comfortably and get the information they need and um, yeah, figure out what they're actually doing without uh, pushing them to buy things. I think that's one thing that a lot of people in the space do. They think you get in the space with investing. Well, cryptocurrency is currency. It's uh, since when do we buy currency? We're not supposed to buy currency. We're supposed to get paid in currency. You should be finding ways to do your thing, to make your art, to make your content, to help somebody, to be yourself in some way for some company and get paid with that currency instead of telling people to hop in and to buy something. And, And the problem with that is a lot of times they're just telling their community just enough to buy their product, but not enough to like, how to sell it, when to sell it, how to be successful in any other way. You're just telling them how to buy something. And that to me is not onboarding. That's offboarding. Mm. <laughs> and what do you mean by offboarding? I mean, you're, you're setting them up for failure. You're setting them just on the edge and giving them just enough information to not make any money. <laughs> so, so what you're sort of helping what you're tasking yourself with then is to kind of, is it fair to say you're, you're helping people understand how they can lead into themselves, how they can figure out what unique product they themselves can create and also to mm-hmm. how they can monetize it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, 90% of traders lose money, but the people that are always going to make money are the people that are getting paid in preferably like a stable coin or a real token, like ETH or something or fiat to, to do what they're doing in the space, you know, the tool makers or the tool masters are the ones that are making the money, whether the market's going up or down, those people are going to be making money. Right. Do you see yourself as more of an educator then rather than any other title? Um, yeah, I, I would see myself as an educator, maybe a mentor. Hmm. And and have people come? Do you have people hitting you up asking questions regularly? You know, and you're yeah, kind of every day. shepherding. Oh wow, that's fantastic! You, you, through 
uh, Twitter, Facebook, social media posts, or is it Twitter? Yeah, Twitter no. or um, Fame Lady Squad community members. Nice. And so, if you're a part of the Fame Lady Squad, do you is is part of the reason to join or reason to be part of it? Is is the access that they'll have to you and and your insights? I mean, you don't have to be a part of the Fame Lady Squad to get help from me. I have my DMs are open, and I love helping people. I've probably helped over a thousand people set up their ledgers um, oh, wow. <laughs> at least <laughs> and probably 500 artists mint their first pieces. And I don't just tell them how to mint it. I explain to them what they can do afterwards to make sure that they can sell it and where to go and be a part of what communities. And um, like I said, it's, there's a difference between onboarding and offboarding and that's, um, that's really what I'm trying to do. Got you. Well, it, it almost, uh, makes you think of the the like a tour guide you know like showing, showing <laughs> someone how to navigate a city except in this case yes. you're, you're yeah, helping artists uh, find their way yeah nft artist tour guide maybe that's the new title and uh you can have people people will come to your website and they'll think that they might be going to uh you know like a, a trip advisor except it's a trip advisor for <laughs> for uh nft creation and and art uh launchpad exploration that's that's awesome. yeah yeah and i'm building i'm building a huge educational program right now which um you know just to back up a little bit i think um i'm gonna tell the story of fame lady squad and how i got involved in that and then i can lead up to the um kind of what i'm building a little bit um because you did ask about fame ladies earlier and i got distracted with all the other things <laughs> i was talking about so um just to back up a little bit um so Fame Lady Squad is the first all-female generative NFT project that ever launched. It launched in July of 2021, which was a crazy time in NFTs. If you were around, <laughs> you might get excited just thinking about the time. But um, it was launched by the first all-female team to ever launch a project. At least that's what we were told. We found out about a month later that it was, in fact, three men running the project and there were no women involved at all. Uh, but we were able to, with the help of an influencer, and a vote on Twitter uh, convinced the team to send us the smart contract and the art layers, the discord, the domain and everything. And we took it over with a team of real women being involved, being included. Uh, and we have been running that for the last 15, 16 months. Um, about a month ago, we got acquired by a company called Daz3D, which is a company that's been doing 3D software for the past 20 years. They recently entered the Web3 space doing projects such as Artifact, uh, the art for Artifact, and um, a few other projects that are out. Game of Thrones, for example, which is coming oh, wow. out in December. Yes, <laughs> that one's super exciting. <laughs> but, um, you know, since we've had this relationship now with Daz, we have resources we've never had because we did take over the project after it minted out fully. We didn't get those mint funds, which is what projects usually survive off of those millions of dollars that you get up front. Um, so we got it without any of that. But now we have those resources, as I said. Uh, so with that, I decided I am going to be building several different fully comprehensive NFT courses. I'm going to call it NFT University. The first mm -hmm. set of courses is for community management. Uh, there's 35 topics. It's about 120 hours of courses. You get a certificate at the end and we will help you with networking and finding a job. Uh, we've actually had incubators reach out and say that they need 200 community managers and 
um, whatnot. So I feel like we'll be able to find jobs for people pretty much as soon as they complete the program. But not only will it help with community management, you can do social media management, project management. Um, you know, there's there's a variety of different things that would help people uh, just be successful in the NFT space. Awesome. So it's it's really to draw another parallel, sort of a, a Coursera for specifically NFT Web three development and management. Yep. Yeah, and it's um, something people can give their existing community managers. They can, um, you know, people can take the courses if they're just looking for a way to get into the space. I feel like that's one thing um, that we've been lacking is people want to get a job, but they don't know where to go to get those skills. They don't have one safe place to to take courses or anything. And we have a ton of community managers that are needed. Um, if you look at the web3.careers job board, 20% of the job posting companies on there looking for a community manager right now. Wow. That's, that's a stark need. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in terms of the community and the functionality of, of say helping people, helping artists specifically, how do you mm -hmm. see the, the NFT university playing a role in the sort of forward mobility of NFT artists and, you know, this being Lights, Camera, Crypto, sort of the entertainment industry mm -hmm. as a whole? Yeah. Um, well, community management is just the start. But I think that artists now are having to be community managers. They're having to be social media managers. They're having to do all of these things that they didn't have to do in Web 2 because you might have had like an agent that kind of took care of all that for you. Now you're doing your own marketing. And that's all the skills that are in this class. Um, so an individual artist could take that on and um, just repurpose those skills in terms of instead of having just a big project, being just like an individual artist, community management skills are going to be the same. Got it. So it's it's really then empowering the artists to take on roles that traditionally they might have outsourced to members of their yeah. team, um, bringing it back internally and you know, is it is it something though that could even help an artist if they're still going to outsource those uh, activities in the Web three world just to have a knowledge base of? Like, is it is it of important? Course. Do you think for for artists to at least at a baseline have awareness over how that part of their business functions? Like, does that make them? A better business yeah person. yeah i mean i think these skills honestly are, are going to be universally just good for anybody in the crypto space to know there's even um crypto trading basic courses like what is a DAO, what is DeFi, that kind of stuff if you're in the nft space you should have a basic understanding of of all of these things and sometimes people jump in and they just want to mint their art and sell it but they don't speak the language yet they don't really understand what's going on yet so um it never hurts to know more <laughs> Totally. And in terms of just jumping in and trying to sell your art, so what you're kind of alluding to, it sounds like is 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 there's a much more layered back end that just as you could say in traditional film and television, there's a much la more layered back end than the final product on the screen. Yeah. It's kind of the same. It sounds like what you're saying where just we, you might see the NFT art on a screen, computer screen or phone and, and uh, you know, the, from from creation to visualization is is still a very much you know immersive process that it sounds like NFT University would help uh, clarify and unlock. 
Yeah, yeah. And and one thing that, um, uh, one other thing that's important also that you might not necessarily get from the classes, but you can you can kind of do through the classes is reputation in the space is mm. having a name that people recognize is people uh, will see that you've done something that you're determined that you show up every day, even just showing up and tweeting every day tells people something because we've minted from enough artists that after two months of not selling any work, they're just gone because they're not getting engagement. And then there's these other artists that have been here for six months and not selling pieces during the bear market. And they're still here tweeting every day. And we see that the collectors see that and, um, it does make it easier for us to buy your pieces when we know that you're going to be here tomorrow. Hmm. And how and what do you think are the factors that provide the sort of environment for NFT longevity? In the in, in to draw the parallel, a good story is a good story, right? And mm-hmm. if it, it just as a as a piece of music that's undeniable, there's something about it that resonates with listeners on say an emotional level or there's a there's a feeling of yeah. connectedness how how yeah. much of that is important in the nft creation where people feel that they are connected to like is that connection just as vital with nft art kind of what you're saying with absolutely the piece of art itself is probably only 50 percent. you have all this other room on this the title the description all of these other things that you should be telling people a story that puts them in the art um, a lot of times artists don't get that chance to kind of tell a, a version of their story along with their piece. So they should be using that um, to the full advantage. I've seen people do full multiple page stories and you can even mint layers in a piece where you have um, a story that you can tell or whatnot. But the more that you can put people into that work and make them feel something, the more likely they're going to be to buy it. And is the marketing then a tool to kind of extend the storytelling of the art rather like on the service, it can just be engagement. Sure. But it sounds like then using social media, using Twitter to engage with your audience can also be another way to tell the story of the art that they're Mm -hmm. interacting with as the epicenter of the dialogue. Absolutely. But also you should be telling your own story because I think that's something that um, people really like to see when they're looking at artists is getting to know the artists themselves. If all you ever talk about is your art and your your pieces, um, it makes it a, a little bit harder to kind of resonate with them because you're you don't have a personal connection with the artist. But um, if if you market yourself before you start marketing your art, and people get to know you and and they get to like you, they're gonna love your art even more. Hmm. So it's it's really then getting telling your story, having people identify with that story, and then provided the art obviously is still is 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 quality or whatever uh, has something that people desire in it. Mm-hmm. You're saying they're going to be it's a it's like a cherry on top of hey we like this person we like what they're standing for we like yep. their background we like what they exemplify oh by the way this art that they've created not only touches on that, but it, it has its own story, but it also uh, embodies the characteristics of the person who created it. Exactly. It's just like adding another layer to the piece. Very cool. Very cool. What, what do you think then this means for the future of NFT art creation and just art in general, as we know it? Um, I think 
I think it's bound to change in a million ways. I, I honestly don't even think we're going to call them NFTs forever. Um, mm. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of people who've been in the space for years and still don't understand what fungible means and um, non-fungible and the fact that an 1155 might be fungible if there's 10 exact copies of the same thing versus, you know, one of one where that is non-fungible and is unique um, and whatnot. So if we're going to call some of them fungible and non-fungible, it's just too complicated. Like how often do we talk about the technology that we're using behind things that much? Um, they'll just be, you know, your collectibles, your art, your whatever. It'll probably be like broken into different branches or like your gaming things have a different name than your identity things and your ticketing things, but they're all using that technology in the background. Hmm. And, and so it's, it essentially becomes just another Avenue to showcase. If we look at traditional art and traditional media, this uh, crypto uh, just becomes another Avenue from which on which Art can be showcased, displayed, distributed, et cetera. Yep. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, moving forward then for, for you and, and for NFT University, any other projects or things coming down the pipeline that you can speak to that, that you want to share that, that uh, you know, we can expect to see from you in the next coming months? Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I am definitely going to be focusing on, on education stuff, especially for fame ladies, but I do have a few projects that I've been advising on that has some stuff coming up. That's pretty cool. Um, one, for example, is called Lightbeam financial and it's actually on chain trust funds hmm. for digital assets. So for your tokens, for your NFTs, for your crypto, um, there hasn't been any way to put those in trust funds until now. And they actually have a way to do it for free if you meant their free PFP. So that's, you know, a great thing to check out if you're, if you have children or if you like to avoid taxes, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think you either probably fall into one or both of those buckets for most people. So, um, you know, a lot of people stress about what to do with their crypto when they die. And there wasn't really a great answer for that. Um, so I'm really, really excited to be working with people who are passionate about finding those solutions and helping people successfully pass things on to their children. We don't, we only have so many Bitcoins out there. We only have so many of these NFTs. Um, we don't want them to die with the people when they die. On that tip, do you think at some point though, there'll be a, uh, reconnaissance mission and, you know, all the lost Bitcoin that uh, is out there in accounts and wallets that, uh, you know, have with with forgotten logins and passwords and whatnot. Uh, there'll be some some pioneer who uh, can can go back and, and help. That, that would that would be terrifying. Imagine. Imagine that, you know, 20, 50 years from now, all of a sudden somebody finds some way to unlock all of this hidden Bitcoin which some of that Bitcoin might just not have moved because people don't want to move it. Like, how do you classify lost versus right. like just hidden. saving and hodling? <laughs> yeah. And right. Um, right. It, it's probably better off that it just, you know, some of it is just gone forever. But we do want to prevent that from happening more, I think. Um, right. And part of the problem with that is that um, you're, 
you have to teach your children and your family how to how to access things and what they are and what to sell what to sell them for and um, part of these trust funds is they have an option to like liquidate it through a third party and they can just get the money if they don't understand things and they just want to push a button and be done with it interesting so it's it's really normalizing then what it sounds like with with an nft trust fund it's all in the spirit kind of as you were saying of education and normalizing just as computers at one point were this foreign enigma we're now mm-hmm. getting into an area it sounds like where 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 trust funds nfts and us and nfts and just nfts and crypto in general are are through projects like yours helping to normalize the discussion around them so that it yeah. can be as simple as a click of a button and yeah you know uh, people will have an understanding of something that will be it looks like a it play a, pl- a practical role in lives uh, in the years to come for sure yeah i would say the two things that i i am trying to do is one educate and two build the tools that are just simply missing right now to to help people be more successful and that's part of the the thing with being so early is sometimes you can build them yourself <laughs> yeah Right, and 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 mess up along the way, and iterate, and figure Absolutely. out, you know, Absolutely. what the <laughs> what 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 the, what the product is uh, that that it needs to be without sort of the ramifications of being, you know, five years down the ten years down the road, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, so so it's, it allows you to take more risks. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and these big companies, they mess up stuff too. They're just not so public about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. They try ten times before we see what they're working on. We, I just mess up. Right in front of people. <laughs> well, it, it, in the spirit of transparency, though, that that probably again helps further. It helps people feel comfortable making mistakes, especially mm-hmm. in this new frontier. So, uh, for sure, yeah, we're all going to make them. We're all we're all going to click a bad link or send ETH to the wrong person, or everybody's had their one thing, no matter who they are. So, might as well, might as well just be transparent about it. <laughs> Amen. Well, Daniel Davis, thank you so much. This has been a a really uh, fantastic conversation and uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.